Be seated. We're continuing our catechism series from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And we've come to the last question that has to do with the fifth commandment today. Remember, perhaps, that there are four questions related to the fifth commandment. And we've looked at uh, three of those four, so today we do the last one. Let's review the ones that we have already done, and then we'll uh, go over the new one. So uh, they begin with question 63. So let's answer these questions in unison. Question 63, which is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Uh, We saw that the word honor is related to weight or importance. It carries the idea that we're to treat parents as important, as those who carry weight in our lives, who have authority. The reason for this is not only because they're older and perhaps wiser, but above all because God has put them in authority over us. That is really the bottom line. They are his representatives or agents, and that means that we are to obey them because they and respect them in the Lord. He exercises his government over us through them. So children, that means that when your mother tells you to take out the garbage, then you should see as if God has told you to take out the garbage because he's the one that placed your parents over you and told you to obey them. So you're honoring and obeying the Lord when you obey them as God's agents that he has given you to create order in your home. Because if everybody does just their own thing, then things are going to be all chaotic and confused and you're not showing love to your family and you're not walking in the order that God has given you to walk in. So it means also that you should do it cheerfully and that you should do it promptly and that you should do it wholeheartedly, not with whining and saying, oh, I want to do that or, or whatever. Now, now let's move on to questions 64 and 65 and recite the answers to these together as well. Question 64, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Question 65. What is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. Okay, so there are two things that stand out in these answers that we have seen. First, that it is not just our parents that we are to honor and obey, but anyone else who has God-given authority over us. Teachers, governors, pastors, elders, husbands, managers at work, all sorts of different ones. I have emphasized to you that the commandments are never to be taken in a narrow wooden way that just looks at the letter, as we would say, 
that if you love God, then it will be the case with you that as soon as you see that he wants you to honor your parents, you'll say, well, who else is there for me to honor that's like my parents? You know, you'll be looking for ways that you can apply this all across the board, all throughout different different aspects of your life. And say, if it pleases God for me to honor them, then it must surely to honor my parents and it must surely please him for me to honor everyone who has authority over me. If you want to please God, then you want to do all you can for him, not the, the least that you can. And the second thing that stands out in these catechism answers that we just recited, 64 and 65, is the way that the catechism suggests that the commandment not only has something to say to children, but also to their parents. It makes that very clear. It talks about preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations. In other words, a parent or other person who has authority is to do their part in the relationship too. They are to behave in a way that preserves the honor and upholds their honor, that preserves and upholds their honor as one who has God-given authority. They are to see themselves as one who represents God and they are to act like it. That means that a parent should be giving of themselves to love their children, not leading them selfishly or with an angry spirit, but leading them and guiding them in the way that Christ leads his people, seeking the good of those under their care and authority. They should love and trust our Lord rather than living in a way where, oh, I'm an authority so I can do what I want. The whole point is that we're to live in all of our relationships, whatever they are, with an eye to pleasing God. The Catechism even says that this has implications for how we should treat those that it calls equals. So people that are not in authority over us or under our authority, that we should live together with them in a way that um, preserves the order of those relationships. In every case, honoring the Lord. When we do this, the Lord in the fifth commandment promises to bless us with long life in the land. If we go into a different order than the order that God has given us with families and obeying parents and all of these things, if we change the order around, then we're not going to, we're not going to be around very long as, as, as a people. So today we're going to look at this, um, this promise that says we will continue long in the land that God has graciously attached to the fifth commandment. Subject of question 66. So let's confess the answer to this question now. Question 66. What is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all such as keep this commandment. For our scripture reading, I have chosen Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, where Paul speaks about this promise. It's especially helpful in our day because in our day, a lot of Christians wrongly suppose that the Ten Commandments were just for Israel and that the promises that are attached were just for Israel, but they're not. People would tend to think that the promise of living long in the land 
was only for Israel and, and pertains only to the land of Palestine if it were not for the fact that the Apostle Paul shows us clearly that it applies to Gentiles, like the Ephesians, whom he applies it to here. Those who come to Christ, all who come to Christ, these promises that we have in the Ten Commandments apply to them. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So listen as I read it to you. This is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And of course, we've been reading this uh, from this section for a while. This time we're looking especially where the promise is, though. So this is the holy word of the living God. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with, a prom- with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And we'll end there. May God bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. You see how the apostle, he has absolutely no hesitation about applying the commandment and its promise to the people at Ephesus who are Gentiles. As he says earlier in this epistle, those who had been strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, but had now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, whom they had trusted. Those who had entered God's kingdom, this promise belonged to them just as much as it belonged to Israel when God first gave it to Israel. And that means that if you have entered God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, this commandment and its promise belongs to you also and to your children. Now, that ought to make you very eager then to understand if this is a promise to you, you should want to know, what, what, do I, what is this promise? What, what does it mean for me? What do I get from God? What, what does he promise to give me in keeping this commandment? So let's begin with that first. The promise is that we will live long as God's people in the earth. Look first at how the promise was presented at Sinai, okay, with the Ten Commandments. The Lord said that you may live long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, you know about this land that God gave to Israel, if you know anything at all about the Bible. It was tied together with his promise to be their God. You remember when it was designated, the land was designated as a place for them to live together as his people under his law with his ordinances and statutes. Both the moral law, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments, was given to them, as well as the ritual laws that involved the offering of sacrifices and all the ceremonies and rules and things that are associated with that. It was the place where God revealed himself to them. In the ceremonies, he showed them that he dwelt with them. The temple represented God's house in the midst of his people in the land. It was he, when they moved into the land, he no longer had a tent, but now he established a house. They could call on him and obtain his help. He showed that he accepted them through the blood of the covenant that was shed on the altar. It represented the way of forgiveness that is now been fully revealed through Jesus Christ, who was crucified. 
And the land was the place where he sent his prophets to tell his people of his promises and to warn them about his judgment that would come if they did not follow him. So if they didn't continue in the covenant that God established with them, prophets would come and they would warn them. The land was also the place where God chastened them when they didn't continue in his way. If they turned to idols or if they became immoral or they started oppressing the poor or things like that, the Lord would send drought or famine or pestilence in his land. And he would raise up their enemies to to come against them in the land. This was done to wake them up to their sin so that they would return to God. God used this method to keep them from going away as his people. If he hadn't done this, then they would have been no different from the other nations. God graciously gave Israel this land then so that, so that there could be a visible expression in the world that these were his people distinguished from those who were not. He was their God and that they were his people. It was freely given to them through no merit of their own, not because they were greater or more righteous, but because God chose them in free mercy to be his people. In other words, they had done absolutely nothing to earn the privilege of being God's people who lived in the land that he set apart for them. It was all of grace. In this land, they stood out as out in the world as his people from those who are not his people. But the Lord warned them that if they did not continue in his covenant, they would be cut off from the land. To use the language of the promise of the fifth commandment, they would not be able to continue in the land. He would send the famines and the enemies and the warnings of the prophets first But if they were stubborn and they persisted to reject the Lord and his promised salvation, they'd be cut off from the land. He said that they would be vomited out of the land like the Canaanites were vomited out who lived before them. And they were vomited out of the land. That's exactly what happened to Israel in their history, isn't it? Uh, That's what the exile was all about. What did God do? He drove his people out of the land because they had turned away from him. Their enemies came in and destroyed God's house, the temple. And he and carried away captives of the people, their leaders. They were cut off from the land. But there was one huge difference between Israel and the Canaanites. And I've already referred to that difference. God promised that he would not utterly forsake them. And he didn't like he did the Canaanites. He preserved a godly remnant who continued to keep the Lord as their God and to be his people. And he restored them to the land after 70 years of exile. And God is so gracious that he actually used that time of restoration from the exile as a special occasion to give them promises that were fuller and richer than any promises that they had ever had before promising them the new covenant. He told them that when he brought them back to the land, that the days would come when he would establish a new covenant with them that was not like the covenant that he had made with their fathers. It was not like that covenant because it was a covenant that they would not break. 
it would be founded upon the righteousness of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus would not fail as their representative, they would not fail to be his people. So you see, we always have now a faithful king. They didn't always have that, did they? Because their kings would do things, even David did things that caused God to turn against the people because of what David had done. And, uh, but now that Jesus has come, it's like we are looking at today in the Song of Solomon. There's always a place where we can go and we can meet with him. We can intercede at the throne of grace. And our king is there. Now, it was really that way in the Old Testament, too, wasn't it? Because, you know, there was Christ was going to come and the people could go and, and receive God. The faithful people like Daniel and different ones could go to the Lord wherever they were. But uh, it's much more of a visible thing now that Christ has come. But all that gives you an idea of what it meant to Israel to live long in the land. If they continued in God's ways, they would live long in the land. If they didn't, they would be cut off. But now we must look at what this means for us in the New Testament now that Jesus has come. As I mentioned before, if Paul did not repeat this promise to the Ephesians, a lot of Christians today would think it only applied to Israel. Actually, the truth is, a lot of them do think it only applies to Israel, even though it expressly says, that it's expressly given to the Ephesians. But if it wasn't even, if we didn't have the scripture in there, then it would be even harder. Uh, but you see, God does, he, he does repeat it then to these Gentiles at Ephesus, and they were not even living in the land that God had given to Israel at the time. Remember that the commandment itself, God expressly says that they would live long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So how do you take that from the fifth commandment and apply it to the Ephesians? Well, in Ephesians, Paul simply says that you may live long upon the earth. How are we to understand this? Does it mean that God was giving the Ephesians the same land that he had given to Israel when he brought them out of Egypt? Is it that they were going to have to all go up to Jerusalem and the area around there and live in that land? No. Having a special land where God built his house, the temple, and where he revealed his acceptance of them through priestly sacrifices and altar was a temporary provision until Christ came. So what does this promise mean now that Christ has come, now that the temple has been permanently destroyed? Well, the promise that we will live long in the earth is an expanded promise. When God the Father gave the nations to Christ as his inheritance, he also gave the whole earth now to Christ and to his people. No longer was it just one tract of land, but it was the whole earth. No longer was it just the land of Palestine. Now the promise is that God's people will inherit the earth. As Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. The whole earth is given to us as a possession in and through Jesus Christ. We are told in Peter and in Revelation and many other places, Psalm 37, Matthew 5, that the earth will be given to Christ and his people. The earth will be renewed and dominion will be restored so that the curse is completely removed. 
All of God's enemies will be cast out and all the people that he has redeemed will dwell in it forever and ever. It will be a new heaven and a new earth, completely renewed where righteousness dwells. Remember that Abraham did not get the land of Palestine. We mentioned that in the earlier service, that the land that God promised to him and his descendants while he was alive. But what did we what, what, what did I tell you in the other service about that, that that he will get it at the last day when he's resurrected along with all who are in Christ? We will with Abraham and all the Old Testament saints inherit the whole earth. In Romans 4.13, when Paul speaks about the promise to Abraham, he actually modifies it to say that. He says that God promised to make Abraham the heir of the world. That is the promise of the fifth commandment for us now under the new covenant. So it has not gotten restricted or disappeared. It's actually been expanded. We too will live long in the land. Even forever, the land which the Lord is giving us if we honor our father and mother. Only now the land is the whole earth. God never takes away his promises. He only expands them. So next we need to look at how the condition relates to the promise. Okay, What does honoring our father and mother have to do with living long upon the earth? How is honoring father and mother connected to living long on the earth? How do those two correlate? Well, think about it. To whom does God make this promise? Yes, of course, he makes it to those who honor their father and mother. That's who it's made to, isn't it? But to what people does he make this promise if they honor their father and mother? That if they honor their their father and their mother, that they will live long in the land which the Lord their God is giving them. Is that for anybody and everybody? No, he makes this promise to the people that he has redeemed and taken to be his people, his own people. The Ten Commandments were not given to everyone, but to those that God had redeemed out of Egypt and taken to be his people. If they honored their fathers and their mothers, they would live long upon the land that God was giving to them. And to the Ephesians, the promise was not to everyone who lived at Ephesus. It was only to those to whom this letter was addressed in verse 1. To the saints who are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who has the promise of long life for honoring their father and mother. It was to those who, Paul says, were once far off, but who had been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13. Those who are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Ephesians 2.19. Do you see how different it is for those who are God's people to honor their fathers and their mothers than for those who are without Christ to honor their fathers and their mothers? If you, as God's people, honor your parents, it means that you will believe the testimony that they gave you about God's kingdom and about Jesus Christ and about his salvation. It means that your parents will bring you up 
in the training and the discipline of the Lord, serving as God's representatives to you. And if you continue in that, what do you continue in? The way of the Lord. Like Abraham, they will command you, as Abraham was told to do, to keep the way of the Lord. And if you honor them, you will then walk in the way of the Lord. They will teach you God's ways. They will teach you to go to Christ for forgiveness and for grace in your, when you have sinned, grace to live a godly life. And if you honor them, you will give what? Weight to what they say. You'll say, this is important. This is what God told me through my parents. If you don't do that, then you're very hard and rebellious because the truth of God is self-evident. That means that it's obvious. It means it's the thing that makes sense. And if you're brought up with it, you don't have any excuse for being bewildered and confused in all of these things. Really, nobody does. But especially if you were brought up in the light, how would you ever revert to the darkness? It has to be a very hard and rebellious heart. You see, the, the truth is obvious. If you've been nurtured and trained in it, if you continue in it, then you will live long in the earth. In fact, you will inherit the earth with all who are in Christ. Those outside God's covenant do not have this promise of living long in the land that God gives to his people if they honor their parents. What do their parents teach them? They teach them to serve idols. Will you live long in the land and be blessed if you serve idols? No. Or they teach them to be secular humanists who exalt man as supreme and who reject Jesus Christ. Will that bring God's blessing to honor your parents? Or to serve false, they'll teach their kids to serve false versions of Christ or other kinds of idols. Children with parents like that, they actually have to break away from the instruction of their parents if they're going to serve God. Like Jesus said, they have to hate their father and mother. Not that you hate them with a bitter hatred, but that you can't give them the weight that parents are supposed to have about their idols. They should, children should still honor them as much as they can, but in the fundamental beliefs of their parents and what their parents are at their core, faith, a, a child must take issue with them and reject their testimony and what they're living for and live for something entirely different than their parents are living for. So there's a kind of a, a severance and a breaking away in that case. Unless you repent and come to Christ, then they will not, such children will not inherit the earth. If they just go on in their parents, faithfully doing what their parents taught them, it's not going to go well for them at all. They will not live long in the earth at all, even though they may honor their parents because their parents are God's enemies. You can only inherit the earth if you follow Jesus Christ. So do you see what the connection is between honoring parents and continuing to have the Lord as your God? If we are God's people, then where does the breakdown in our relationship with God begin? You have a generation that grows up that doesn't know the Lord. You know, here we are, a people redeemed from the world, 
a people set apart in Jesus Christ. But then a generation grows up like we read about in, um, in, in Judges that, that doesn't know the Lord. What happened? How could that be? Well, it can only be that there was a breakdown between the parents and the children. Somewhere along the way, the children rejected the very thing that was the most important thing of all to their parents, their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Either the parents were negligent in commanding their children to keep the way of the Lord and bringing them up in the discipline and training of the Lord, or the children were rebellious and wickedly rejected their parents' nurture and discipline. Of course, if the truth be told, then it is the fault of both the parents and the children. This is so because the promises are made to parents that God will be God, not only to them, the parents, but also to their children. God had told Abraham, Genesis 17, 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. If God is our God, it means that we have eternal life and that we will live forever under his blessing. If he is the God of our children, it means that they will live forever and inherit his blessing. The same promise is given in Acts chapter 2 to believing parents. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children. What does that tell parents? Parents, it's good news. It tells you that it is possible for you to bring your children up in the Lord because you have God's spirit, the Holy Spirit and God's grace. The Holy Spirit enables you to train up your children to pray for them and to pray with them and to lead them in God's covenant. And he works in your children so that they will honor you, so that they will receive the Lord's nurture and admonition from you. But of course, if you don't bother to lead them to the Lord, if you do not pray with them and for them, if you do not bring them to a faithful church, if you don't teach them God's word and correct them, when they go astray, it will be the case as far as you're concerned, at least, that they will grow up and not know the Lord. That's how it happens that a child who had parents that were in among the covenant of people of the Lord grows up and, and not know the Lord. It is all of God's grace that you're enabled to do this, to bring them up that way, and that they are enabled to follow you. But that's the grace that's promised to us. It's the grace that's promised to give you to you if you trust in the Lord. It is for parents and children then to walk together in his covenant, trusting him all the way, looking to Christ alone for their blessing. Their eyes need to be on Christ. That's what they're that's that's the whole idea. Psalm 103, verse 17 and 18 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, fear the Lord, and his righteousness to children's children, 
to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So you see, children from a believing home, they don't have to break away from their parents' instruction to come to God. They have to do the opposite. They continue in their parents' instruction to continue with the Lord. The ones who are outside where idols are served have to break away from the teaching of their home in order to come over to believe the truth about God and to receive Christ as their Savior. So as you walk with him, the Lord enables you and your children to maintain and uphold the honor that God has given you as parents in the Lord. And now, finally, I want to show you how the promise of living long in the land is applied to us. There's a little bit of overlap in what we have already seen, but I want to show you the different ways that it applies to us because it carries out, uh, it works out in different respects. And we'll get to the most important way is the last one that we'll look at. So first of all, it's applied to the church corporately. Before I spoke about how Israel was given the land and how God used the land to show them that they stood as his people, when they were faithful, then they as a whole people continued in the faith of their fathers and God gave them dominion over the land that he had promised them so that their enemies were were weakened and were unable to, uh, to, to molest them. But when they rejected the faith of their fathers as a people, not that every one of them did, but when by and large as a people they did that, God first sent famine, then he sent enemies, he sent prophets to warn them and tell them that he was sending famine and enemies because of their sin. And then if their rebellion continued, God sent his people into exile. He drove them out from the land. He cut them off from the land. Now, he still does something similar with Christian nations today. This promise has a corporate side to it as well as a personal side. So when the gospel first comes to a pagan land, the first believers and their children are often persecuted, aren't they? Something new, something alien has come into their land and they, they turn against the people who are, because people have hard hearts and they don't naturally love the Lord their God until God changes them. But after a few generations of covenant faithfulness among those early believers in that country, the church takes that nation over. It's happened again and again in history. They don't take it over by force of arms, but that nation, the nation bows to Christ. Now, again, we're not saying every individual bows, but the laws change to conform to God's law. The leaders are looking at what God's word says about how they should govern, and the nation begins to acknowledge God as their God. The church in that once pagan land is given the land, you see. They receive the land where they live and dominion over that land, living as God's people in God's ways. And then they can, and this continues until the children of future generations become proud and feel that they're entitled to the good life that God has given them and that it doesn't have anything to do with God, that they're just good people and they're smart and their ancestors are smart and they've done well and they've made wise decisions, all that stuff. They become proud and they cease to be thankful to God and instead of trusting Christ, they begin to boast in their own goodness. 
they do not honor their fathers and continue in the in the, the faith of their mothers ever so gently god begins to withdraw his blessing and to turn them over to their own folly and their unbelief until at last as it has happened in canada he is no longer acknowledged among them except for a tiny remnant you know if if you look back in canada's history you see confession made that god is our god and that jesus is the lord and you have um, testifying of uh, looking to uh, understand god's word for how it applies to the laws of the land and things like that but you end up when you turn away from god the author of all the blessings that he gives when he gives us the land as, as his people you end up with ruined families in that place you end up with corruption you end up with oppression, tyranny, murder, sexual immorality, and even perversion, like the you know uh, homosexual perversion, that sort of thing, abortion, confusion, strife, and disorder. You get all kinds of chaos and, and confusion. That is the corporate application of the fifth commandment. The nation goes from one who at first the people were there in the nation trusting God and following him, a small group of people. Then God gives them the land and the land is conformed to the ways of the Lord. And then they begin to drift away and not acknowledge God anymore. And you get what we have here today on an ever increasing level. It's a very sad thing. Corporate application. Now I want to look at the various ways that individuals receive this promise from God. How does it come to the individual? First, it is a promise that faithful covenant children will often, we can add here, live long in this world. Those who honor their parents often live to a ripe old age. They have the blessing of seeing their children's children, of living a full life upon the earth. Now, this certainly does not mean that on an individual basis that that faithful covenant children will never die in their youth. They will. They do. But it means that they do not die in their youth because of their sin, where very often covenant children who rebel, their sin is visited with death. Rebellious covenant children often die because of their sin. In other words, they die young. We're told that God killed two of Judah's sons because of their wickedness. We're told the same of several of David's sons. For example, Absalom and Amnon are two notable examples of sons of David that died before David did. Um, they, they, were, uh, they, they died well before their father David against whom they had foolishly rebelled. In the New Testament, we're told that the Lord punished some in the church of Corinth by taking them from this world as a punishment to them. In other words, they fell asleep, as it says. In, uh, in Acts, we're likewise told of Ananias and Sapphira who lied about the gift that they had given and God struck them with death as a punishment. It wasn't specifically for rebellion against their parents. But the point here is that God does the same thing in the New Testament 
cuts people's life short as a chastisement to them if he does it for things like lying against the Holy Spirit and and such things as that, you can be sure that he also does it for a reason that he expressly says that he does it for dishonoring parents, covenant children doing that. And in Ephesians 6, we're told that children who honor and obey parents will live long, which by implication tells us if they dishonor their parents, they won't live long in the land. They will be cut off at a young age. Again, when we're talking about individuals, you can't say every single time there could be some really wicked covenant children that live a really long time and vice versa. The experience shows this. I have known of covenant children who were rebellious and who died in their sin because of their sin. Sometimes it's even directly associated with their rebellion, like maybe um, drug overdoses or or, um, or, or drunkenness where they have an auto accident or, or, or various kinds of things like that, that God visits them because of uh, their rebellion against him. So the promise to covenant children who honor their fathers and mothers has to do on one level with living long in the world. But that's not, I don't believe that's the main thing. Even more importantly is the second way we'll look at that the promise applies. It is a promise that faithful covenant children will continue to live in the church with God's covenant people. The elders of the church are commanded to receive the children who have any child who has at least one believing parent in the church as holy children. God says that those such children with one believing parent are not unclean, but holy They're set apart to God as his people. The Lord has always told us that both we and our children are his people, and he's never changed that. If these children honor their parents and continue faithfully in the faith of their parents as believers in Jesus Christ, then they will continue in the church until the day that they die. Unless the church apostatizes and kicks them out, but then actually when you're kicked out that way, the church goes with you, not with the group that kicked you out. As it was with Jesus, when they kicked him out, the church went with that God recognized was with Jesus. The institutional people of Israel were still with the ones that kicked him out. But the true people of God were with Christ. But if those children rebel against their parents and they reject their teaching, then the Lord commands the elders to remove them from the church. That's one of the ways that they will be cut off. 1 Corinthians 5 commands us to remove the wicked person from among us, the one who will not repent. We don't remove people just for doing a sin. We remove them for doing a sin and then being confront, we confront them and then they don't repent. They refuse to repent. That's when we remove people. We're always happy to restore people no matter what they've done if they repent. But you see that quote, remove the wicked one from among yourself in 1 Corinthians 5, is, is quoted from the Old Testament. So it's just showing the continuity that we're still supposed to do that just like they were in Israel. Some people don't even know that Israel was supposed to do that because they never did it. It's like we are today. Most churches don't ever see this happen. Somebody can be living in rebellion. Nothing is done. And uh, it, it, it needs to be something that is done. Although these covenant children that are, are kicked out may continue to live long lives in the world, They do not live long in the earth in the way that the fifth commandment speaks about as God's people. Because you see, 
It speaks about living as God's people in the land that God gave them. So you're in the covenant people, in the assembly of God's people, in the Old Testament language, in the land of Palestine. You're removed out from the people of God. So you don't continue long in the land, as it were, that God gave to his people. In the Old Testament, if they were cut off as citizens of Israel and were no, they're no longer heirs of the promise of God to give them the land. In the New Testament, they are removed from the church, which has the promise of what did we see? That we will inherit the whole earth. So at a young age, even though they still live on the earth, they're cut off from those who are heirs of the earth. They're no longer heirs of the earth. They have been cut off. So now we have seen the first two ways the promise to covenant children is applied. First, that they will often live long in the world. Second, that they will continue to live in the church. And now we come to the most important way the promise is applied. The final way, the way with finality. Third, it is a promise that faithful covenant children will inherit the earth as an everlasting possession. These are children, again, born of parents who believe. And these children, instead of rebelling against the truth, embrace it and continue in it. They rest in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, and they obtain the promise that comes to anyone who rests in Jesus Christ for their salvation, to anyone who believes. What is that promise? It's the promise of everlasting life and the promise of inheriting the earth completely. They will inherit the earth. By completely, I mean that they will, with Christ, be given dominion over the earth, such as God originally gave man at creation, although even more so. The curse will be removed from the earth so that they, so that they will, uh, so that all, and all who hate God will be removed from the earth, who did not come to the true God through Jesus Christ, so that there will be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells and where there is no more curse. But what will become of those covenant children who have a wicked, unbelieving heart? Those who, instead of embracing the truth about their parents' Lord, reject him. They may live to old age in this world and they may remain in the church until they die. But on the day of judgment, it will be revealed that they never trusted in Jesus Christ, that they just had an outward show of being his people. Or perhaps they were in a church where they should have been disciplined, but were not because of unfaithful shepherds who themselves were unbelievers. In other words, maybe they were following the false teachings of a false church, but it still was a church that is under the Lord in that sense, though in rebellion. So they could still be in that church as unbelievers, you see. Or just that they weren't properly removed. So these ones on the day of judgment, they won't be rejected until the day of judgment. And then Jesus will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you, you who work iniquity. And he'll say, but we were in the church and we did these different things in the church. And he'll say, I never knew you. Jesus tells how these how there will be branches in him that do not bear fruit. They're in him, 
but they don't bear fruit. And so what happens to them? He says in John 15 that they're cut off and cast into the fire on the last day. Consider what each of you must do then concerning these things. Covenant parents, see that you pour yourself into passing this inheritance onto your children. It is so much more important than houses and lands and education and all those things. This is the thing that matters most. This is eternal. And if you don't regard it as that important, you regard those other things as of more importance. Well, maybe you'll have really educated and rich children that will do uh, that will prosper in this world, but they won't do well on the day of judgment, nor will they do well really in this world without God In covenant children. You need to see that you cherish the inheritance that you have been given. The Lord has given you a title to it. You have the privilege of knowing the Lord and being started out in the right way rather than in the wrong way. Don't rebel against it. The the whole ship is going in the right direction because you started out with a family that trusts God's promises, that's going in his way, are you going to start turning away from that and go contrary to that? Honor your father and your mother in the Lord that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Have your parents not told you how this land comes to you? How does it get to you? It comes to you through Jesus Christ, who himself was cut off from the land For our sake, he was cut off from the earth out of the land of the living. We are all sinners, but he was cut off for our transgressions so that we could inherit the land through him. We continue in him, not by perfect obedience, because we all fail if that was the requirement, but by trusting in him as our redeemer and following him as our Lord. That's what your parents have instructed you to do. Covenant children, see that you continue in the covenant by continuing in Christ as your Redeemer, the way your parents, just as your parents, have taught you to do. Keep on in that way, and you will live forever in the earth. And you who are not brought up in the faith, there is forgiveness for you also in Jesus Christ, for he promises that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life you have to leave what you were brought up in and what you were taught break away from that hate your father and mother so to speak and come to the lord but come to him trusting in him to save you and you will live forever with him in his inheritance you will inherit the earth and you will live forever in the house of god as the bride of jesus and as sons and daughters of God the Father. Please stand and and let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we we are sad when we see how often that your people who are called by your name have not continued in the grace in which they were nurtured. We see, Lord, that there are many times when covenant children grow up and harden their heart and they turn away from the doctrine that was delivered to them, from the blessing 
that was brought to them and promised to them, they, in unbelief, reject the promise. They have, as Hebrews warns about, a wicked heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So that a generation even can grow up in a church that does not know the Lord. This is a very disturbing thing. And we pray that you would help us on our part, whether we are presently parents or children, that we would be those who, who cry out to you, O Lord, and who seek you and who do believe and receive your promises and who continue in your grace without walking away from you. Where will we go, Peter said, for you have the words of eternal life. That's what he said to Jesus Christ. There is no life outside of your blessing in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to make this clear to our children and to one another. And Father, that we will see your blessing not only on the next generation after us, but the generation after that and the generation after that, all the way until the day dawns and the shadows flee away and our Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory to receive his bride and to give us that inheritance of the earth, that um, the earth without the curse and under our dominion forever and ever. We thank you, O Lord, that even though we don't yet see all things brought under his feet, we know that they will be brought under his feet and that uh, you will give all that you have promised to your people through him. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have, that we already have a title to the whole world. It doesn't matter what people may have in this present time. We have an inheritance that can never be taken away from us. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have to live with Jesus forever in a new heaven and new earth. We praise you, Lord, for your mercies and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Amen.